Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on, Harbor, make a little noise this morning. Where you at? Where you at? Man, come on. If you get to sing those songs and don't get a little bit awake, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. I mean, we're, we're a couple weeks out from Easter. I'm just trying to get you warmed up. The band's just trying to help you get in the mood. I don't know if you know this, but we serve a risen Savior. Yeah, the cross was tough, but he took it on our behalf so that we can sing. He lives, and you can sing it and mean it. And so uh, I hope it puts a little bit of a smile on your face. I'm glad that you're here. Um, if this is your first time, Maybe it's your first time at Harbor. It might even be your first time ever going to church. Or if you're watching online right now, uh, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor. And man, thank you. Thanks for giving me a little bit of your time. Thanks for coming out and saying, just saying, what is it that God might have for me today? I believe he's got a word for you. I'm excited for you to be joining us in on it. We are in a series that we have called Chameleon, if you watch the intro video. Um, it's this idea that God has called those of us that consider Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, he's called us to look different and act different. Now, I have to say this because I know some of you watching and some of you here in the room, your honest answer is, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I have a relationship with God. There's some of you that are thinking, I don't know if I want to trust Jesus as my Savior, my Lord. I don't know what all that means. I'm just kind of, I'm trying to figure this out. I want you to want, thank you. I'm glad that you're coming. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're just trying to figure out what it is that God might have for you. There is never going to be a more important decision. Not who you marry, not what job you have, not to buy a house. There's never going to be a more important decision that you make in your entire life than what you do with Jesus Christ. To invite him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, to surrender your life to something bigger than yourself, that's the most important decision you ever make. And I pray that you do make that, I hope today or in the very near future. But I'm going to talk to the people in the room that say, I've already done that. Like you would, you would proclaim, you would say, I'm, I'm already a believer. I have Jesus. I, I've made that decision. Whether you want to call that being a Christian or being born again, you would say, that's me. If that's you, then the Bible tells us that God's got a plan for your life. Because it's not just about like, I believe in Jesus. Boom, I'm dead. I'm in heaven. It's I believe in Jesus. I've accepted him. I'm walking after him. And what does that mean for my life? Well, God says it means he, he, his plan is that he uses the broken people that he's rescued to reach out and tell more broken people how they can be rescued. Yeah. So you have a job. Your job is to stand out. Some of you are already weird. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> he says, be a light in the darkness. Be like a city set on a hill when there's nothing else around. People just are like, whatever that is, I got to go to that direction. That's how you're supposed to be at work. You're supposed to be salt, the Bible says. Salt changes the flavor of whatever it touches. That means you're supposed to have a positive impact on every relationship that you come in contact with. That means all your family members, your neighbors, your classmates, your friends, even random strangers when they bump into you, because of who you have living inside of you, it should impact their day. Your light, your salt, that's what, the, that's what God's called us to do. Here's the problem, Satan hates that. He knows that that's God's plan for rescuing people. So his job is to, Satan's plan is to make you as dim of a light as possible, as dull or flavorless of salt as possible. He wants you to become a chameleon. 
He wants you to not stand out, but instead blend in. And we talked a couple weeks ago, I talked about how a lot of times chameleons will find their identity. Now, the lizard, the real chameleon, the actual physical lizard, uh, camouflages itself to match whatever's around it. That's how it hides. Spiritually, a chameleon will take whatever's around it and use it to make its, its identity. This is who I am. See, God says that if you have Jesus Christ, you're a, an adopted child of God now. You're a co-heir with Christ. So if you have Jesus Christ, you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings. You are a prince or princess of heaven. You have an eternal value that cannot be measured by earthly standards. So your job is not to go, look at all the things I have that make me who I am. Your job is to go, I don't care what this world offers. I've got a greater calling and a greater identity. And two weeks ago, I talked about how one of, one of Satan's plans, one, one of the avenues he goes down, is to make you identify with all the stuff, some of that good stuff, you know, the things that make us happy, we think. The relationships, I am, I will be more complete if I just have somebody love me, if I just have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, if I just have children, if I just have a good family. That's my identity. Some of us, it's, it's I, I have to work. I have to have a job that, that gives me a title. I have to have income that makes me feel like I've, I've accomplished something. I have to have X amount of savings or X amount of things that I've bought, whatever it is, fill in the blank. It might be power, it might be prestige. And, and I talked against that and I spoke how, I, I showed how in the Bible, God says that those, all of that stuff is, I mean, the stuff I mentioned is not bad unless you worship it. And then you've elevated it above God and now it becomes a sin. But some of that stuff isn't bad, and, and your, your desire for it, you have to go, okay, that doesn't, that doesn't make that stuff w- important enough to find my identity in it. If God blesses me with it, great, but if he doesn't, I'm not going to get rocked by it. Some of you heard that message, and you sat here like this. Look at all these freaking happy people around me. All their things that they're not supposed to identify with. That's not me. And maybe you didn't do that, but here's, here's my point, is that Satan doesn't just have one attack strategy. That's one end of the spectrum, to identify with all the good around you, to find your identity and all of that. His other attack is to swing the pendulum back past God. Don't find your identity in God, but if you can't find your identity in the good things, then you better find your identity in the bad things. And there's some people today, I know I'm guilty of this, there's people in here that you have found your identity in all of the brokenness. And this is what culture will put on you in bucket loads. I've got just a handful of minutes to try to speak against what you have been indoctrinated with day after day, hour after hour. Some of you, for most of your life, you have bought into this lie from Satan that you are the sum total of all the bad things that have happened to you. Satan wants you to sit down being a victim of all of your surroundings, and that is what a chameleon does, is finds identity in its surroundings. What I want you to understand from today's message As much as last week we talked about not loving all the good stuff, you can't also wallow in all the bad stuff. See, a chameleon is characterized by its circumstances. If your identity today is, well, this is who I've been, and this is what's happened to me, and this is, this is the brokenness. If I tell, and I open this message by saying, God's got a plan for you to be used. Every single one of you can be used by God. You can, you can brighten somebody's day. You can stand in a parking lot and hold a sign if you want to. Now, I noticed that only the people pulling into Harbor wave back at me because a lot of people are just like, I ain't waving to the crazy church person. And then I moved down to the, 
I moved down to the middle school, and then everybody waved at me. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I get it. But you can do... You can do what God's called you to do, but many of you will say, I can't because I'm too shy. I'm too broken. I'm too, and fill in the blank. I have too much on my plate. I have to, and a lot of times Satan just feeds that because he wants you to believe that you're not actually usable by God. And some of you are sitting here today or listening today, believing that lie. The chameleon characterizes itself by its circumstances. But God hasn't called you to that. He's called you to be a disciple. And see, a disciple is distinguished by their devotion. Whereas a chameleon sits down and goes, I'm just all the things that are wrong with this world. And by the way, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. But that's not where you find your identity. A disciple is the opposite. A disciple is somebody who goes, I, will, I would rather be distinguished by the way I serve and what I do with my life than to be lumped into all of the things that have happened to me and all of the brokenness that surrounds me. Now, a lot of times I, you hear me talk about like, man, we're supposed to look more like Christ, and we are. But when I give just examples of Christ, which by the way is the perfect example, some people go, well, that's not fair. <laughs> Jesus went through hard times, but he's perfect. <laughs> and if you've gotten to the point where you realize that you're not perfect... All right, step one. But sometimes you hear like Jesus did it and he didn't sin and you're like, yeah, but that's Jesus. I mean, I can't go through hard times and, and not, not do this. You can. And that's why the Bible gives us other examples. And one of the best examples in scripture of somebody who's not Jesus, who's not God, who is not perfect, somebody going through a hard time and still being distinguished by their devotion to God. There's several in the Bible, but I'm gonna give you one of my favorites today. It's a guy named Joseph. Joseph, if you're not familiar, is an Old Testament story about a guy who goes through the ringer but does not give up on God like a lot of us would have. I'm going to show you his story, and then I'm going to tell you how I think most of us would have reacted, how most of the time chameleons would have used it, and then let's talk about how we should view it and how Joseph viewed it and how we can learn from that. Let me start by telling you a little bit about Joseph. He is one of 12 boys. He has a lot of sisters. We're not, told, we're not sure on the total amount of sisters, but we do know that he had at least 11 brothers, and he is the second youngest. So he has 10 older brothers. His dad really likes him more than most of his brothers, which is a bad thing. Parents shouldn't show favoritism, but his dad buys him a coat of many colors, which was a really expensive, elaborate gift, and his dad doesn't buy it for any of the other boys. And then Joseph has a dream where he's like a big bundle of wheat, and his other, uh, these other 11 bundles of wheat all bow down to his bundle of wheat. And he's like, God gave me a dream. And the interpretation of the dream is that you guys one day are going to bow down to me. When you live in a, a patriarchal society, especially where the older you are, the more value you have, your 10 older brothers do not appreciate being told that they will bow down and serve you one day. But he told them anyways, because sometimes if you're anybody in here has older siblings, sometimes you just run your mouth. <laughs> And you say crap, and then you're like, why am I getting beat up all the time? Because you won't shut up. <laughs> but then Joseph runs, his, run, runs out to see his, his brothers who are shepherds. They're keeping uh, watch over their flocks out in the field. So he leaves home, and he goes out to bring them a message from their dad. He goes out, and he finds them. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance because he has that fancy coat on. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. 
I, you understand, Pastor, I have a bad family too. You went over to Thanksgiving dinner and they did not poison your mashed potatoes. <laughs> Joseph's brothers hated him. Like, when talk about a bad family, his family actually tries to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. They say, that's not a compliment. They're mocking him. Here comes the dreamer. <laughs> let's, see about what, let's see about his dreams. What happens if we kill him? This is what they say. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And then we'll tell dad, well, an, an animal must have eaten him. And then we're going to see what comes of his dreams. <laughs> you open your mouth, Joseph, you're going to pay for it. Here you go. They are not good family. Now, here's what I need you to understand today. There's some of you sitting in here in brokenness. Some of you are here in bitterness. Some of you are here in defeat. Some of you are here with uh, an anger, all, a thing, all because of the family that you were born into. Some of you had some really bad stuff happen to you as a child, and I'm sorry. Some of you had some really negative things happen to you uh, because of family members. Some of you have had some really heavy stuff spoken over you. Your family is not as bad as Joseph's family. I used to think that a bad family would be like the McAllisters from Home Alone that would leave a child, <laughs> not just once, but twice, <laughs> leave a child, like that's a bad family. Then I read Joseph's family and I'm like, oh, like this isn't actually a bad family. By the way, this is the family that God chooses to use to bring his son about. This is the, the, the 12 brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what, how the story goes. As Joseph arrived, verse 23, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing. They grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern and the cistern was empty so there was no water in it. It's just like a well kind of. And, and, and then just as they were sitting down to eat, trying to figure out how they're going to kill him, how they, what way they want to murder him, uh, it says, as they looked up, they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah, by the way, this is the tribe that Jesus comes from, Judah. Judah said to his brothers, wait, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Guys, we don't want to do more work. <laughs> I mean, we're going to kill one of our siblings. Let's not make it hard on ourselves. Um, he says, after, after, he goes, uh, we have to cover it up. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother and he's our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. And if you think, oh, they had a change of heart, they're not going to kill him. No, 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 no. Being sold into slavery, especially down into Egypt, was a death sentence. They, they didn't build those pyramids and those great buildings with mechanical instruments. They didn't I know some of you think it's aliens. It wasn't. It was slaves. And it took thousands upon thousands upon thousands of slaves dying to build that stuff. You, were, you would be sent to Egypt and you would be worked to death. They are not taking it easy on Joseph. They just don't want to get their hands dirty. And they're like, we want to kill him, but let's kill him really slowly where he's starved and whipped to death and worked to death. And we make some money off of it. That's what they just said. So it says they pull him out of the cistern. So when, uh, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midian traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern. And you could almost see Joseph getting pulled out by his brothers. He's like, huh, good joke, guys. Good joke. <laughs> Thanks for letting me out. <laughs> yeah, kill me stuff. That was, had me scared for a minute. You know, like when you think, you know, that your siblings are in, you know, like they're, 
you know, I don't know, any of you ever play hide and seek with a brother or sister and they don't find you for two hours? And then you, you come out and you're like, you're playing Nintendo? I've been hiding. I thought I had a good hiding spot. Just me? Okay. Anyways, he comes out and he's like, okay, guys. And then they're like, we're not going to kill you, uh, but we are selling you into slavery. And it says they pull him out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver and the traders took him to Egypt. Here's something you got to understand about how God works. All throughout the Bible, God gives the world a picture of the coming Messiah. The Old Testament is always pointing towards Jesus. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Moses, who comes and rescues them out of slavery, is a picture of Egypt, or is a picture of Jesus. When he, when, uh, he pulls them out of Egypt, it's Jesus pulling us out of sin. Uh, Joshua, leading them through to the promised land, is a picture of Jesus as our leader. There's all these pictures of people who God raises up and now you have a picture of Joseph, someone who is betrayed by the people he loves for a handful of silver. See, the Bible isn't complicated. The Jews just chose to reject Jesus, even though there's a clear pointing all throughout Scripture to what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he would be. Joseph, and I'll wrap it up at the end on how exactly it, it comes full circle with, with him being Jesus. But Joseph gets sold into slavery. And I, get, I don't know what that walk to Egypt was like. I don't know if they threw him in a cage. I don't know if they chained him up behind a camel and he just kind of had to walk. But I'm thinking that whole trip down, if it was me, I'm probably not living for God. I'm probably on this journey going, God, why did you let me be born into this family? Nobody here ever think that? God, why is it that I, I, why do I have to put up with this? I don't deserve this. His mom had died. Just recently, Joseph's mom had died, and his dad's other wives, his stepmoms, didn't really like him. His, step, his uh, half-brothers didn't really like him. Um, and he's sitting there going, why do I have this family, God? Why would you do this to me, God, is what I would be saying. Joseph's not saying this, but this is what I'm imagining if I was in this place, I'd be saying. God, you're not fair. God, why did I, why did I open my mouth about that stupid dream? I just wish I'd shut my stinking mouth. I wouldn't be in this problem. Anybody ever spend time living in regret over a dumb choice you made? See, those, these are all signs of chameleons. Chameleons who take what's happened to them and use it as their identity. I now, I now use my circumstances as an excuse for why I can't be who God's called me to be. I hear this all the time. Why aren't you doing more of what God's called you to do? Why aren't you trusting God to be the man or the woman he created you to be? Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I come from, and then you tell me about your history. And you talk about what happened to you as a child. Or you, 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 you have bought into a belief that this thing that this teacher said over you in second grade still holds true. And you, you remember, oh, you don't know, Pastor, about the dumb stuff I've done. I ruined my marriage. I, 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 burned, I burned bridges with people. I'm supposed to have relationships and they hate me now. Pastor, you don't understand. I gave into some addictions and now they're so rampant in my life. They consume me and... We have all of these things for why we can't do what we're supposed to. And I think Joseph in this spot would have had a perfect excuse. God, you want me to serve you? You give me this family. They try to kill me. I'm sold into slavery. I'm, I'm, I'm walking my way to certain death. How do you want me to love you, God? How do you expect me to serve you? Because see, this is how chameleons do math. Chameleons do math this way. They believe that what people think added to what they have done, their personal history, equals their value. What people think plus my personal history is the value that I have for life. 
That is the equation that many of you, most of us in this room, have lived most of our life by. We look at, like, uh, what do people say about me, and then how many mistakes or good things have I done? And a lot of times, we just live in that regret. We live in that pain. See, society says that if you're the victim, then you don't have to answer for all the things you're supposed to be doing. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that everywhere you look, everybody is a victim. We're all victims of all the things that happen to us. It's not my fault. It's not me. Woe is me. Do you have any idea how bad my family is? Do you have any idea how bad I was treated? Do you have any idea what I've gone through? None of us got to pick what families we were born into, who our parents were. None of us got to pick that. And yet we all choose to to make that the deciding factor or or one of the deciding factors in how we live our life going forward. What was I blessed with? If I'd only been taller or stronger or skinnier or better looking or smarter or or, or richer, if I had something that if God had given me more at the beginning, maybe I'd be in a better spot. And we use these to distinguish why we don't have a value to be used by God. What's the Bible say about this? Well, Basically, it teaches until you start caring more about what God thinks about you than what other people think about you, you're never going to be free. Should I say that again for the people in the back? Until you start caring more about what God thinks about you instead of what everybody else is saying about you, you're never going to really be free. This is what it says in Proverbs 29. It is dangerous, verse 25 says, it is a dangerous trap to be concerned with what other people think of you, but, it's, but if you trust the Lord, then you're safe. If you don't think that Satan has a trap for your life, then you're really naive. He wants you to get consumed with what everybody else says, with what everybody else thinks, with what everybody else has done to you or or, or believes about you. So some of you, maybe you are sitting here today and you're hated by family members. Maybe it's because of something you did. You opened your mouth one too many times, Joseph. Or maybe it's nothing that you did. They're just jerks. Either way, it's not an excuse but we make it an excuse. And that's why we're not doing what we're supposed to do and we're, we're the victim and it's everybody else's fault. I love what Dave Willis says about this. He says, don't worry about other people's opinions of you. God never told you to impress people just to love them. You're not told to impress people. If they don't like you or aren't impressed with you, that's on them. You're called to love them. And if they don't love you back, that's between them and God. That doesn't have anything to do with you. You love them. And their response to you is on them. So if you sit and you're like, I can't do it, I can't do it, no one likes me. That's on them. I'll give you some hints, some pointers, brush your teeth, you know, some things like that. But if people don't like you and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's on them. You're called to love them, not to make them love you back. But why do why but we get wrapped up with it, we get consumed with it. One of the other parts, go back to the equation, please. One of the other parts is not just what people think, it's also my personal history. We I'm guilty of this. We live in embarrassment. Like you re you rehash dumb choices, and you're either embarrassed or mortified, or you become angry, but it builds up something in you to keep living in the past. I was brushing my teeth the other day and I thought about a conversation I had in 10th grade. And I, I felt a wave of shame and embarrassment over some, something dumb that I said. I was just like, oh, 10th grade. I promise you, nobody else remembers that conversation. None of those other kids remember anything about it, but I have relived it 20 times in my mind. 
Why? Because we don't let go, especially of our mistakes, especially of our past. And then we use it to be like, that's who I am. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're not a sum of all of these past mistakes and issues. You are not the victim of your addiction. You're a child of God. You're not the sum of a mistake or broken relationships or past issues. You are somebody who has a future and a home in heaven. Start acting like it. The Bible says in Philippians 3.13, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, guys, it, Dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. I haven't arrived. I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it yet. What I focus on is this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Chameleons cannot let go of the past. You're not called to be a chameleon. You're called to be a disciple. You're called to say, God, what do you have for me to do next? Not look at all of the stuff I screwed up. But as long as you keep looking backwards, Satan's got you trapped where you won't, be, you won't allow God to work through you. It's one of the reasons you're not shining the light as bright as you're supposed to be. See, if a chameleon believes it's what people think in my past history that makes my value, a disciple instead knows that it's God's power times my testimony that equals my eternal impact. I want you to notice how it says God's power. This is a surrender to the power of God in my life. If I allow Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, if I surrender control, if I lay down what I want and said, God, instead I said, God, what do you want? That power, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in me if I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That power in my life with my surrendered testimony. Do you understand that if you are the biggest dumpster fire in this room, that does not mean you are the least qualified to share the gospel. It actually means that you have the best story to be magnified by the power of God to impact more people. The biggest dumpster fire in here should be the biggest light, the brightest shining light, the biggest storyteller should come from the whoever has the biggest issue and go, it's not about me, it's about God's power through me. That's where you're gonna make an internal impact. If you made some royal mistakes, then praise God, you got a whole plethora of things to share of how God has redeemed them. And when you run into somebody who's like, oh, I just have it bad, you're like, yeah, no, I got no, no clue what bad is. Let me tell you how good God is. Your story is so powerful. There's no wonder that, God is, uh, that, that Satan is trying to keep you from sharing it. And no wonder that God wants to use you because that's the thing that changes people. When they meet a real person who had real issues and encountered a real God and found real forgiveness and is now living in real redemption with real purpose, that all of a sudden means something to me. But you just used to be like, well, I posted a verse on my Instagram and if that doesn't change their lives, then that's all I can do. That's all you can do. You got a freaking story to tell. Give God your testimony. Well, I'm just, I'm not sure it's gonna work. Look at what Romans says. Romans says this, I pray that the God who is the source of hope. You can have hope that are, you can press forward, you can look forward instead of looking back because you have hope. How do I get that hope? You will fill, he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trusted in Jesus. You invite Jesus in as your Lord and Savior. When you do that, you will overflow with that hope that you're looking for through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you have Jesus Christ in your life, 
The power of God magnifies. I didn't say plus your story. I said God's power times your story. It multiplies your story and does way more than you could ever do on your own. The power of God multiplies whatever has happened in your life to affect more people in ways that you could never do it. Well, I don't know if that power is going to be good enough for me, Pastor Josh, because you don't know my story and my issues and my hangups and I have real problems. My mind, man, I'm, I got issues. I got, I got 15 therapists and they can't help me. You're like, I get it. I get it. But you got to remember what it says in John. In 1 John chapter 4, one of, the, one of my favorite verses, it says, because you belong to God, those of you that have made a decision to follow Jesus, because you belong to God, my dear children, you have already won a victory. You already have eternity settled. You already got heaven for all time. And you've got that over the people who are trying to put you down, even if those are family members and friends. Why? Because the spirit who lives in you is greater. Somebody say greater. Greater Greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Greater, (laughs) excuse me, greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. But Pastor, you don't understand. I get it. The world has all a collection of all of the things you've ever done wrong and all of the mistakes that you've ever made and the stuff that you can't undo and the things that you regret. And greater is he who is in you than that giant pile of your past. You have to choose to believe that. And if you do, you will have hope to press forward instead of looking back. And I don't think... I don't think Joseph spent that whole time being drugged down to Egypt, going, I just wish, oh, what was me? Bad, bad, bad. I wish I could have. He says, okay, God, I'm going to press into what you have next for me. How do I know that? Because when he gets to Egypt, the Bible tells us that he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the head of Pharaoh's guard. Pharaoh's personal bodyguards. Uh, Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the planet because Egypt is the most powerful civilization on the planet at this time. Pharaoh is the king. Potiphar is his, his head of his security. Potiphar finds Joseph at a slave market, buys Joseph. Joseph, instead of whining, pouting, complaining, doing all the things that you and I would do, Joseph says, hey, God, how would you use me? And Joseph works really hard for Potiphar. And Potiphar begins to trust him. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. And Joseph, living for God, continues to do the right thing in the middle of being sold into slavery. And then Potiphar's wife says, well... I'm interested. She begins to try to seduce Joseph. This is what it says in Genesis 39, 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went to do his work and she came and she grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was hiding, that she, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and that he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran out and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Second time that a jacket has got Joseph in trouble. Did Joseph do anything wrong? I go, I go a step further and say he did everything right. He did not, he didn't not only not sleep with her, he didn't flirt with her. 
He didn't make out with her. He didn't go anywhere near her. He did everything he was supposed to do to please God. And what does God do? Well, it says, when Potiphar heard the story, verse 19, he was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Joseph's reward for doing the right thing was to be thrown into prison. And that ain't an American prison where he got TV and three nice meals and got to work out. Joseph, if you think being a slave in Egypt was bad, being thrown into an Egyptian prison was being a slave but hanging out in sewage with rats. That was his life. He, he got demoted to being in the worst place on earth. And why? Because he did the right thing. Now, you can sit there and be like, I'm just like Joseph today. Let's just say if that was you. God, I've been doing it. I tried. I tried to do the right thing, God. And where is my reward? My reward is that I get thrown into prison. My reward is that somebody falsely accused me and everybody believes them. You ever had anybody lie about you? How is it they're going to believe it? I didn't do anything wrong. They're lying. I don't even get to defend myself. Everybody just believes the worst in me. What, am I, what was I trying so hard for? Why? Because here's, here's the problem. We, we quickly revert back to that chameleon mindset. Because see, a chameleon, a chameleon views their religion as transactional. Why? We look at God and we think of our relationship with God as a quid pro quo. I did for you, you do for me. Oh, God, I wasn't sinning like I used to. I stopped doing some of that bad stuff. As a matter of fact, God, not only did I stop doing some bad stuff, I actually started going to church. I started praying. I've even read my Bible. I went to this new harbor church, and they raised their hands when they sang, and that's really out of my comfort zone. But I did it, God. Where's mine? Now, you may not say that out loud, but do you think it? Why isn't God looking out for you? You're, you're the person who comes to church on a Sunday morning. You're the person who tries to be good. You're the person who loves. You're the person who, who obeys. You're the person who reads the Bible. You're the person who does whatever you think is good. Just fill in the blank. And by the way, none of those things are bad. But you have made your, you've, you've made your belief system transactional. And that's why I said religion. Religion is man-made. Religion is a bunch of rules made up where it's like, here, if I do X, Y, and Z, God owes me. He, he's obligated. I, it's, like, it's like it's in a contract. I did this and this, so you give me, and you treat God that way. See, a disciple sees their faith as relational. A chameleon looks at religion as transactional, like I did, so you give. Real faith, which isn't man-made religion, real faith, real Christianity is God reaching down to us. Religion tends to be us reaching up to God, usually with like, gimme, gimme, gimme. If you really loved God, then come to church because you want to grow in your relationship with him, not to force his hand to bless you this week. That's the difference. You might think, well, there's no, I'm still coming to church. I'm still doing the right thing. What's the matter either way? God knows your heart. And see, what's going to happen is when you don't get your way, you'll stop coming to church. You'll stop praying. You'll stop believing. You'll stop reading. 
Why? Because you don't really have faith in him. You had a transactional relationship where you're like, God, you owe me now because I didn't do what my dumb friends did. So I expect better than what they got. And if I have a dumb friend who doesn't serve God and ends up better than me, then God's not fair. God doesn't love me and God's not good. So then we're done. If we got thrown into prison for the same way Joseph was, falsely accused for doing something he did not do, after he spent all the time doing the right thing, you and I absolutely would have been like, screw this, I'm done, I'm done. I worked so hard for so long and God didn't reward me. This is the problem. This is why Christianity is, is so weak, is that we, we have lowered God down to a, a base level of him being on some kind of contract with us. When Satan comes to tempt Jesus, Jesus goes, you don't get to tempt God. You don't throw yourself off a cliff and then make him catch you because you were good. He goes, that's not the way God works. He's like, your, your relationship should be based on a desire to know him. When I started dating my wife, I didn't, I didn't spend time with her. She was like, Kayla, I guess we're dating. I have to spend time with you now. It's some kind of transaction. I just wanted to be around her. I fell in love with her. I wanted to spend more time with her. I wanted to hear how she thought. I wanted to talk to her. I just wanted to be in her presence. I'd go over and bug her. I'd be over at her house. Like, like the more in love with her I fell, the more time I wanted to be around her. That's what it's supposed to be like with your walk with God. Not, I will do this as long as you give me something back. That's not love. Don't have that, by the way, don't have that kind of relationship personally and definitely don't have that kind of relationship spiritually. If, if Joseph had done that, I see Joseph and I see a lot of us get thrown into that prison and be like, I'm done. I'm thinking done. This is why God said, this is Jesus talking in John 15. This is why he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, and if you remain in me, meaning if you have a relationship with me and I have one with you, that's when you're going to produce a lot of fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If it's not a relationship between you and God where you want to grow with God and you want to know him, come to church because you want to know him. Pray because you want to know him. Read the Bible because you want to know him. Not because you think, I checked all the boxes, God, I'm waiting for a blessing. You will always be left disappointed because now God is, only, God is only loving and God is only good if you get what you want. That's not true. That's a lie from Satan. And if you believe that, you're, you're dooming yourself to keep falling off of your spiritual journey. You're going to go to church and then you're going to get mad. You're going to read your Bible and then you're going to get discouraged. And you're going to make it about like, if I do A, then God has to do B. And that's not how it works. See, jo Joseph continues to serve. He continues to do the right thing. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. This is, this is where it continues with verse 21 after he gets thrown into prison. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison. He showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything and the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You and I wouldn't have noticed that. We wouldn't have noticed God being with us because we would have given up on God. We just started wallowing in all the bad things that happened to us. Joseph starts serving other people in prison. He serves the warden. Then he starts to serve other prisoners. At one point, two of the prisoners have dreams. One of the prisoners' dreams meant that he was about to be executed. One of the other prisoners was a cupbearer, and he has a dream, and Joseph goes, here's the meaning of your dream. In three days, you're going to get pulled out of prison. You're going to get to go back, and you're going to actually start serving the Pharaoh again. You're going to be the Pharaoh's cupbearer. And he, he gives him that. 
And then Joseph says this. He says, hey, please remember me and do a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to the Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. Man, you know, I'm wrongfully imprisoned here. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm slowly dying. I'm slowly withering away. I'm getting older. It's been year after year after year after year. If you just mention to the Pharaoh, because you're going to get to stand right next to him, that there's this innocent guy, maybe, maybe the best that could happen for me. I want you to understand, Joseph's sitting there going, all right, God, I have faith that you've put me here for a reason. Maybe, maybe this cupbearer will represent me to Pharaoh, and maybe Pharaoh will just pardon me and let me out of this prison. And if I have to crawl home, starving and, and, and walking through the desert, if that's how I get out of here, I will do it. I'll, I'll go home tomorrow if I can just get released. That's the best he could come up with. And that was a long shot <laughs> to be accused by the head of Pharaoh's security for trying to rape his wife. You're not getting a pardon. But maybe, just maybe God's good enough to let me get a pardon from the Pharaoh. That's what Joseph's hoping for. And he's serving. And it says, after the, after the cupbearer gets restored, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph never giving him another thought. Bro, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You can't even remember me to the Pharaoh? See, here's the thing. <clears throat> A lot of us wouldn't have served in prison because we would have been done. Joseph served, and then even when he served, the guy still forgot about him. You ever love somebody and they don't love you back? You ever do something for somebody and they don't appreciate it? Did you stop doing stuff for people? Joseph didn't. He kept loving even when people forgot about him. Even when they didn't send him a thank you note. Because he didn't do it for their thanks. He did it because he was serving God. See, here's the problem. Chameleons, chameleons will stop whenever they think there's something going on. Chameleons have two eyes that both see 180 degrees. They can look everywhere. And they freeze. And they're just running about. They just, they hold still because they, everything, they think everything's going to eat them. Everything's going to kill them. This is their defense mechanism. They view themselves as highly fragile. Very volatile. The, the, everything is, everything is dangerous. So they freeze and they don't do anything. And this is what Satan wants for you in your walk with God. A chameleon is always paralyzed by fear. And many of us in this room today spend a lot of our spiritual journey paralyzed, immobile by fear. Do you know how many bad things have happened to me? Everything I touch, Pastor Josh, breaks. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give because there's no way it will go good for me. There's no way that loving that person won't backfire. Everything is backfired. I'm just going to stay here because I'm scared. I just don't want to move forward. Do you understand that you can't have faith without a little bit of fear? It's not faith if it's not scary. It's not faith if it doesn't push you. You're like, I'm, I'm courageous. You can't be courageous if there's nothing scary. It requires something that doesn't make sense, something that isn't in the norm, something that you're not comfortable with in order for you to grow in faith. If you're always comfortable, it's not faith. You're going to have to find something that scares you and you go, okay, 
I, I, I'm going to move forward even though it's scary. I don't understand how tithing will actually help me be more generous, but I'm gonna trust that God, you said that. I don't know how forgiving that person who hurt me is actually gonna help me walk with you, God, but I'm gonna forgive them even though they didn't say they're sorry. I don't understand, fill in the blank, but you've told me to do it so I will go forward. A chameleon won't do that. A chameleon is paralyzed by their fear, but a disciple is propelled by their faith. Whereas a, a chameleon is paralyzed by fear, a disciple moves forward going, God, I believe you've got better. God, I believe you can, do, you can rescue. God, I believe that what you want for my family is better than what I want for my family. I believe that what you're gonna do at my work is better than that. What you have for the, the second half of my life is better than what I wanted for the first half. God, I believe that you can do more. My faith moves me forward whereas my fear tells me to stop. I can either be the chameleon or I can be the disciple, but I have to choose. God is giving you the opportunity. I think if we were Joseph, what Joseph, if, if it was modern day, it was us, we'd be like, dear people, I'm just having a really rough day today. Anybody, any of my other fellow prisoners out there? Winky face, so tart, so, so hard serving God. Woe is me, you know, send some love, favorite Bible verse. <laughs> and we would low grade wine, we had low-grade wine on all of our social media to garner people's sympathy. I would never. It's a lot of what Christians do today. I'll put a I'll put a Bible verse up that make it look like I'm that make it look like I'm serving, but or that I'm faithful. But what I'm really doing is I'm just whining and asking for sympathy. I just want people to feel bad for me. So we just share our problem. Uh-huh. I'm being brave. No, you're not. You're not being brave. You're just trying to get people to feel bad for you. If you're really being brave, get out there and freaking serve somebody. Don't draw attention to your problems. Love people. Go love them. Go interpret dreams. That's what Joseph did. Your version of that, just go, just, heck, just go share instead of saying, woe is me. How did it work out for him? Well, the Pharaoh has a dream he can't interpret. And finally, after two years, the cup bearer's like, oh, there was this dude, Joseph, I was supposed to tell you about. <laughs> he can interpret dreams. Joseph, by the way, has spent half of his year, uh, half of his life at this point in prison or as a slave. Half of his life. Some of y'all get mad if somebody doesn't return a text message in two minutes. Joseph got forgotten about for two years just by one friend, let alone the, the almost 17 years he spent in slavery. <clears throat> it says, Joseph's suggestions, he gets out, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a dream that basically meant that, that Egypt was going to go through a famine. And God says, God says, Joseph, Egypt's going to have a famine. And the Pharaoh's like, well, what am I supposed to do with the famine? Joseph's like, well, find some guy who can manage the next couple good years and save some of the food long enough to get you through the famine. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man who's so obviously filled by the spirit of God? If you ran into somebody tomorrow, would their interaction with you make them go, I've never seen anybody filled with the Spirit of God like you. Most of us, if we went through what Joseph went through and somebody talked to us, all we would do is tell them about how bad our life was. All we would do is spend time complaining about how rough we've had it. Joseph instead serves God and it makes the people around him go, dude, you've got something in you. He said, can we find anybody like this? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else 
is as intelligent or as wise as you are, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, the Pharaoh sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. In a 30 minute conversation, Joseph went from being the lowest of the low, a, a slave who was in prison, and he got elevated to being the second most powerful man on the planet. That's a God move. His best hope was, God, just please let me somehow get out of prison. But see, the Bible says that if we have a relationship with God, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we can ask or think. So why do we sit here wondering, why is it so bad when God goes, I not only have a victory for you, I have way more than that. I will do way more through you. I'm actually going to use you to save some other people. Just trust me. You're a victor. You have victory. You're not a victim. And you have to decide today which one you're going to believe in. Joseph becomes the second most powerful man on the planet. He ends up gathering all this food and he, he saves Egypt from starvation, from millions of people dying or saved because of his plan to save, to, to store up some food. So much so that surrounding outside of Egypt, people start coming to Egypt to get food because they're starving to death, including 10 guys who show up one day and bow down to the second most powerful man on the planet. They bow down not knowing it's their brother, Joseph just like the dream had said. Joseph invites his whole family to come down to Egypt and he saves them from starvation, keeps them from dying. Now, I'll be honest with you, if it was me, payback, buddy, let's go, big bro. Not Joseph. His brothers, when their dad dies, they think Joseph was only nice to us because dad was still alive. But now dad dies and they send him a message and they're like, please don't kill us, basically. And Joseph says him this, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, in order to save many people, Joseph was able to look at his life and go, all of the evil, all of the crap that people have done to me, all of the lies by Potiphar's wife and everybody else, all the time as a slave, all the time in prison, and you have your own versions of slavery, you have your own versions of prison, you have your own Potiphar's wife in your life, all of that crap, all of that negative, all of the bad stuff that happened to you, all of my time as a child being, being abused by my older brothers, all of that negativity, all of that evil, God used it for good. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God used it to do what? To bring about a salvation for many people. You see, this is why it's so critical. Next week, I'm going to end the chameleon series. And I think the message next week is so crucial for our church, but I can't preach that message till I preach this message. This is God saying, guys, if, if you're going to be used, you cannot, you cannot put yourself in timeout. You cannot get out of the game and sit on the sidelines. Whatever your excuse is, you have too much good or you've had too much bad. Neither of them excuse you from being in the game. See, what a chameleon does is a chameleon freezes. Chameleon stops. Chameleons move very slowly. The only thing a chameleon moves fast is its mouth. It's got a fast tongue for eating bugs. Sounds just like a, a church person. We move, we move incredibly slow, but we love to talk. 
And this is why I think it's so important because God has said, we've got to get to work. There are people around us, our kids, our neighbors, our classmates, our friends on the school bus, the people that we work with, family members we haven't talked to in a long time, they are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. They need salvation. And God has put it in the hearts of the people that know Jesus to go represent him. But a lot of us aren't being disciples, we're being chameleons. And we just sit down in the brokenness with everybody else and we're like, yep, this is it, brokenness. No, lead by example that you won't be defined by all the bad, that you have hope in something bigger. Will you stand with me, church? Let me pray over you today. I will pray for you out loud, but I can't make a decision for you. Only you and the quiet of your own heart can make that decision. So as I pray out loud, would you pray right where you're at? Would you just bow your head right now and close your eyes? Have a moment between you and God. Some of you heard me say that you, ha- you can't have any of this without a relationship with Jesus. That's true. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. So in this moment right now, would you invite him into your life if you never have? The hope that we talked about, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, That's a decision that only you can make. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and Savior, then do it right now, right where you stand to say, God, I need you. I'm sorry, forgive me. You call the shots. You sit in the driver's seat. Doesn't have to be that exact prayer, but it needs to be that heart. You give control to him. You surrender your life and you you agree to trust him instead of yourself. And as there's people praying right now across this room or even online, if you're under the sound of my voice and you're sitting here going, I don't know if that's me, then invite God to be a part of your journey. And if you're hearing this and you go, I'm already a believer, I'm already a a follower of Christ, then are you acting as a light and as a salt to those around you? Are you really impacting the, the people around you? Are you really pointing more people to Jesus or have you just kind of blended in? Today, if you know that you could, you could be doing more, that God's called you to shine brighter, then would you just confess whatever it is that's keeping you from it? Maybe today is the day you need to let go of some of your pain. Today is the day that you let go of that, that bitterness or that regret, the embarrassment or the frustration. Today is the day that your past will no longer define you. Today is the day that you said, I'm, I'm going to find victory in God, not victimhood in my past. Today, I'm letting it go. As I pray out loud, would you pray quietly right where you're at and ask God, God, help me not be defined by the things that are broken, the things that I've screwed up, the things that happened to me. Let me, God, find hope in whatever it is you wanna do through me next. As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're excited about the fact, God, that you use broken people, but sometimes, Lord, if I'm honest, I forget that I have to give that brokenness to you. God, sometimes I carry it around out of shame or out of guilt or a desire for sympathy, but God, none of that is what pleases you, giving you the things that are wrong, giving you the sin that you died for, and then walking by faith is what you've called me to. So God, help me do that this week. Lord, help the people under the sound of my voice right now, the people who are pursuing you, that are, if we're willing, God, to hand it over to you, you said that not only will you forgive us, but you'll cleanse us and you'll give, a, you'll give us better than what we could ever hope. So Lord, today... I know this is a room filled with people who, who have things that they need to let go of, things from their past, things that we've done, things that were said over us, things that were done to us, God, that we have to walk away from. Lord, don't let us, don't let us, take, don't, don't let us be out of the game. Don't let us, God, don't let this be a church filled with people who sit on the sidelines. God, let us walk out of this room. Lord Jesus, let us walk out of this room looking more like you than how we walked in. 
God, let us be a, a joy, a hope, a light. Let us be salt this week. Let us, let us impact some of the relationships that you, let us, that you already let us have. God, give us the opportunities to, to influence in ways that we never have. Let us be better parents. Let us be better, better sons and daughters. Let us be better husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends. God, let us, let us actually make a change that matters in the lives of the people around us. Lord, we believe this will happen and we trust that it will happen because you made the, those promises and because you died to set us free. So we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Come on, let's give him some praise this morning. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.